So, like, I mean, I've always had um, basically critical race theory as a theory. Basically, I'm trying to say it short, sweet, and to the point. Um, a couple of the founders, Kimberly Kimberly Crenshaw, lawyer, Derek Bell, lawyer, uh, Ivy League lawyer. And basically, critical race theory states that specifically talking about bl Black Americans, um, our position in this country, our how we're perceived in this country is already set. And pretty much how that is, is we came to this country under a fucked up president or pretext. And because of that, I'm not gonna say it can't be changed, but we were, were always seen in that type of light. Um, Basically, one of the tenets of critical race theory states that uh, racism is pretty much embedded in the fabric of American society. Um, another thing critical race theory says is that it goes beyond just America. This has been later, um, scholars have been researching, talking about other Black people in the diaspora, such as Black, Black Brits, Afro-Venezuelans, Afro. Afro-Asians, it, it really, it's, it's gone, it's gotten deeper, but it specifically talks about our position in this country, um, saying America, America is racist and will always be racist. And in order to combat that, we need to know about this. Um, and I, Derek Brooks, well, oh man, Derek, Derek Bell, my bad, I got confused with your name, Derek Bell, um, one of the founders of it, he stated that um, pretty much racism in America will always be here and it will never change. Um, and it's quite saddening when you think about it, but I, I don't know where, you know, critical race theory, you know, why, why does it, I'm getting long-winded, um, so I'm gonna wrap it up. But what is it to me, the theory or the acceptance of that theory that our position in this country is set and it will be damn near impossible for, our, for us to escape that. Um, race in this country is 
almost as old as this country itself. And obviously with chattel slavery embedded with American capitalism, um, it has created a very terrible position for people who look like us in this country. And um, because of that, um, it is pretty much critical to the way we move in this country. I'll think of more stuff as we go, but that's all I got really right off the head. And how I look at it is basically critical race theory to me. It's like basically you're, well, you have people who are examining the intersectionality between social and kind of go social and race um, and how basically those two constructs and those two ideas connect and how basically as African-Americans, we're always, they're basically African-Americans, we're always, you know, subject under that umbrella. Um, everything, you know, that we do is, you know, people look at it as a critical race from, we could look at it from an example of African-Americans getting, getting harsh, harsher punishment than white men when it comes to the drug, drug dealing game. Um, you know, those are different eyes, but to me, it comes from, it's a, it's, you can look at, you know, under that critical race theory, you can look at it in a social umbrella and then you can intersect, you know, intersect it between like social and law because those two do, co do connect in the social construction of those two ideas. Well, to me, critical race theory is just, all in all, it's the teachings of, you know, the, the outright racism that black, brown, indigenous people have faced over the, over the years since the inception of the country. Way back, if y'all, you know, using history back in, what, 1610, back when Jamestown, Virginia was established. It's been, it's been a little since then, you know, like, just all the things that's been through that's gotten us, that's gotten us, gotten us to this point, you know. Like I said previously, Trail of Tears with the Indians and slavery, chattel slavery, like Malcolm mentioned, mass incarceration, the drug war, like Monte mentioned. It's just, it's been going on, it's like every... I would say every like this ever since the start of the start of it all, I would say like every 40 to 50 years, there's always been some traumatic change in things that made it worse for that made it worse for that made it worse for people that aren't white, unfortunately. That's that's true. But I want to know too that under the critical race theory, there are different, you know, just to you know give people there are different tenets of that theory. And you know, critical race theory is the umbrella, but then you have different, you know, things that lie under that. Um, that falls under that umbrella. So what are those things? I know systemic racism is one, but what are the others? Um, you got the intersectionality, intersectional race, which is basically examining uh, Black people. Uh, I don't want to make, I, have to, I can't think of, but I know intersectional race, intersectional race is like one of the tenets, systematic racism. And I, there's a couple others too as well. Michael, do you know the others by any chance? Because I'm trying to get, but I, I understand the systemic racism, but I'm trying to, um, I think he's saying intersectionality of race. I think I know the article that you've seen or looked at, um, intersectionality of race, seeing how, hmm, I'm not, uh, yeah, I'm drawing blanks, but the systemic racism is definitely, I mean, that plays into the part that race is a concrete, like, while it is a social construct, race is real specifically in this country because our country was basically found off of if you are this skin color you are a slave or can be treated like one but if you are this color if this is your skin color then you might be 
still have a shitty situation, but you are at least not someone's property. Um, so, of course, that leads into the systemic racism tinted. Uh, um, basically, racism is embedded into our institutions, such as the criminal justice system, our education system, so forth and so on, because that's what our nation was founded upon. Everybody, uh, it's funny, we talk about the system, the system, the system, and the system was really never, kind. it's kind of structured the way it was intended to be. Um, so this, as far as systemic racism being attended, I think the intersectionality of race, maybe uh, with Devante's point, um, intersectionality, intersectionality, uh, it's probably just wondering where these, uh, with race, just seeing different ideas, no, I'm trying to think of queer, like different, along with your race, other identities intersecting with your race that add to, um, you know, being, let's say, Black, gay, and Muslim, and disabled. But I don't know, I, I'm trying to think if that's one of them, I'm not sure, but well, so I do well, know the systemic What's um, that? I said, well, if so, I mean, we are we did an episode in intersectionality, episode twenty-seven or the twenty-six. Damn, you remember that right? Up like it's it's either twenty-six. It's one of those episodes that we did an episode in intersectionality because I remember doing that topic because I just wanted it's it's like the previous episode we did, Black Men versus Black Women, episode forty, just to examine why there's so much. I would say like animosity between people of your own skin color, being that um, it could be, you know, the, the the gatekeeping that we do within our own, not gatekeeping from other races, but gatekeeping within our own community, you know, you know, the the, the, yeah. the black hood dynamic versus, you know, growing up in a safe area, so a black suburban area dynamic, like why is that? Why is right. it how we bickering over who's more friendly than the next person when we're all in the same boat at the end of the day? You know, so that's something. That's something I remember doing. What episode it was, but I know we definitely did. So and that's what I know. But systemic racism. This is the new one. But you know, for those that don't know, I feel like systemic racism is like what Miles said. It's the criminal justice system. It's the public education system. It's even your financial system. It's everything, really. It, it comes all the way down to nitty gritty. It's all it's been, and it's been like it's been like it for as long as as we can we can remember. Like I remember on TikTok and. I saw this video, it was this guy, who was creative, he was doing this video, and he was explaining why, like, gang violence and um, poverty exists within the Black community. And he put it together quite nice because, you know, take it all the way back to 1960, as far as people say it is, it's not really that far, it's only been 50 years. But um, uh, he was going on about how, like, this was, like, this was like 1960, this was like, you know, when I guess, Mass industrialization was really starting to take a shape, and instead of really starting to take form in America, it's really starting to take form in the country. And um, it it was a point where when you would apply for a job as a black person, they wouldn't even look your way. They would just say, "No, we're not giving you a job." You get you get declined instantly based off the fact that you're of the skin color, and then you basically be working whatever minimum wage was then, probably a dollar fifty cent, what it was then, you know, income, you know, inequality then than it is now. Not making any money, living check to check, basically broke and don't have anything because you know how American capitalism is and being that the, the negative of that system. And you're just comparing it how, 
Like, because black people could never get jobs when they needed jobs is why gang violence is the way it is. Because if you were to tell somebody that had no options to be like, all right, do I want to work for this check for a dollar fifty and barely make it? Or do I wanna I wanna join an organization which was what it was supposed to be once upon a time, organization that I would say protects you, pays you well to do, I guess, whatever tasks you do, and you don't have to worry about living check to check anymore. And then, you know, push come to shove, we went down the pipeline, has this guidance because if you ask, if you ask like the rapper Ice T, the, the guy that does a, he's the one of the prosecutors on the Law and Order thing. He was he was a rapper in like the 1980s. He tells and he says it like in one of the documentaries that I watched that like the Bloods and Crips they weren't always what they were now. They used to be used to be like sections to it. Like he said, it used to be an entertainment section and a finance section, and it used to be it used to be like a legit organization. That's how it used to be. And then somehow down the road, it's it's gotten where it's gotten here, where it's just. You know, instant killers back and forth, no matter no matter who you are, no matter what you look like, you just can be a victim of the situation. You just be there, you're in the wrong place, wrong time, and bad things occur. And he was just explaining all that. And that basically some of the systemic racism was because, you know, we faced racism for so long. It's really backed all minority to a corner to be like, all right, I gotta do what I gotta do to survive. And if there's one thing I know for certain, never underestimate a motivated individual. Because a motivated person will figure out something by any means to make it to see the next day. And if you push that person in the corner, there's no telling what they do. And that's one of the main reasons we got here. So systems of racism is probably one of the main reasons that gang violence is what it is today. And that's, and when I watched it, it all, it all makes sense. It all makes sense. But any comments to that at all? Or did I nail it on like the head? I mean, it's- it's crazy when you mention that because another one of the, and I know another, I'm going to say another tenant of it, uh, entrance convergence theory. And I was talking about Derek Bell earlier, and that's one of his theories, one of the founders of critical, like, critical race theories, the big shebang, something under it is entrance convergence theory. And pretty much, uh, like I said, I'll make it short and sweet. Entrance convergence theory, um, Derek Bell wrote a paper arguing why Brown v. Board um, kind of changed the game for Black people because, not only because of what it did, but he saw between the lines. He said, it seems to me that white people only do things for Black people when it benefits them too. So we said, Brown v. Board, what is, you know, integration? You know, black kids can finally sit in the same classroom as white kids. And I think he saw this and a lot of people in the scholarly community community say integration was probably one of the worst things that happened for black people because in turn, we could sit at white folks table, but we wouldn't get no food. And we were just happy as that, happy with that, just as long as we got to sit with the white folks. I don't mean to sound like a separatist or Umar Johnson or anything, but it is true. And that's why Derek Bell said, you know, black people, why do we have HBCUs? Why do we have our own morticians and stuff? Why did we have our own stuff? Because we weren't allowed to, as you know, be at the same place as white people. We weren't allowed to go into their businesses. So what the hell did we do? Make our own. Integration came around, particularly with education. You know, 
black people are getting educated in-house going to places that do accept black people but they you know Derek Bell said you know started getting the uh gears rolling huh if we let these black kids come to their school that green dollar is just as good that white black man's dollar is just as good as that white man's dollar or black woman white woman whatever the case may be so entrance convergence white folks entrance converge with the entrance of black people and rarely it ever is you know, for the benefit of black people. Sometimes it's virtue signaling, sometimes it's something else, but that's why he argued Brown v. Board did more damage to black people because once we got a seat at the white table, we didn't care if we got the food or not. We were just happy to be at the table as you can see how he felt about integration, but that is another tentative entrance convergence theory. And he said, because of this, racism will always be a permanent stain in American society. American society. And that's just another one. I'm trying to think and getting the gears turned and trying to think of go down the list and whatnot. But that is also entrance convergence theory. Um, and I think that had a lot to do with what you were saying because that goes into the systemic, huge systemic racism points. Right. Oh, no. it, does, it, does, it definitely does. It makes, it makes sense. It makes sense actually because when you think about it, when integration happened, that's when private schools became a thing. So, you know, because of integration, you get private schools like, like this. And this happened in my hometown. Never forget it. You know, you had Prince. You had Prince Edward once upon a time. Prince Edward was, as most know, was, was. I don't know if Prince Edward was always integrated. I don't know. I don't want to out speak on it. But it was Prince Edward, and it was Farmville High School. The high school is now a field. It's been the. It's been destroyed now. It's a field right behind one of my like the church. I the church. I the church. I go to. Um, it's now a field, it's like right there. And like, it was Farmville High School and it was Prince Edward. And everybody, and you know, that, that was one of the main reasons because Brown's Boy Education happened right in my hometown as well. So it all happened right there. And that was one of the main reasons we had R. Moton, that was, a, that was a school once upon a time. All that, those were all schools with black people and they had the white people school. And then once Brown and Boy of Education, Fuqua was born. And Fuqua was a result of that. And if Magic I. I've never been to Fuqua. I don't know what Fuqua's prices are, but if I'm not mistaken, Fuqua is somewhere around three thousand a semester or a year or something like that of that nature. That it would just be these out of pocket costs that you would know that black people couldn't afford. You would know that they would not be able to muster up three thousand, four thousand, five thousand dollars every year to pay for a great education. So then. And then you would then you would send these kids to these public schools or these I, I hate I hate to use it, but better lack of words. If you if you are a graduate of high school, you know that is one of the worst high schools ever because to this day, I don't think I learned anything applicable in high school that I can use now. I don't have anything. I don't have nothing. Like I didn't I didn't learn about how to be taxes, I ain't learned nothing. So everything I learned in high school is basically down the drain. I you and you basically been like Basically, you had to self-teach yourself everything because it puts you in the spot that you want to go work, you want to go to college. And that's why we're here now with the whole tuition spikes. Once people, once, once, every every step of the way, every time I would say a black person has figured out the system, how to break the system, how to get into it, it's another barrier has wiped it off and just said, no, all right, we're just going to back it back down. And it's, and it's happening well. Like the SAT was created to keep it did all minorities out of school. That was the sole purpose of the SAT because people knew because people knew that because we were not getting the education that we needed, we would not pass a 
I don't know, a critical thinking exam as the SAT, where to be basic arithmetic and, you know, read and writing skills that people knew we didn't have. And it would keep us at secondary institutions that would put us to get that, that same dollar value Malcolm was talking about. It would basically keep us out. A few would get through, as always. A few outliers would get through. But you're looking at, what, 100 people per 1,000? That's, that's, a, that's a win. That's a win situation if, 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 you, if you're on the other side of it. But yeah, that's like system racism is it's deep. It's it's deep. Like it's so many examples of it, it doesn't even it's it doesn't even make sense. It doesn't even make sense. You would think there's no way it could be you it would be you would think somebody just created to just to just step on your neck, but uh, here we are. Honestly, I think that um I don't know, man. I feel like you know, we're as a race, um, African Americans, we're always a step behind. Um, because when I think of the word system, I look at it and it's a system. Like we're always, you know, we can try to break that system, and you're like, we're always locked in, like locked in into a certain aspect. But like we're trying to fight. You know, there's so many different battles that you know we're trying to fight at this current, you know, state in this current age. Um, there's so many when it comes to system. Well, institutional racism, systematic, you know, there's so many different things that we're trying to break and get through. But, you know, the white people are always a step ahead. Like, like you said, Ira, you know, you get down one barrier, it's another one. It's another one. Like, we're always, it seems as if we're always going to be, you know, facing those battles until time in. I think it goes back to what, you know, Malcolm said, like, race is always going to be here. Race is what, you know, we're built on this, the foundation. Um, you know, we can try to say, you know, break like, oh, racism will end. Racism will never end because, okay, even if we break the, because in so many different aspects and so many that racism appears in every single way, whether you're working, political health, like so many different sections of what, you know, is important to us, it's a battle where wages, like you said, poverty, health care, we, the list can go on and on about the barriers in which we're trying to break and we even even though you know some people may not see it as like racism but if you really take a deeper dive and look at it and look at those certain things like I know one thing that we talk about now is like the hiring practices of corporations and how that right there is a racism in itself because of you know we want a foot at the table but when we get that foot at the table it's like we're just told oh be quiet like your opinion doesn't matter or you know there are certain things in which we, we can have a voice, but that voice really goes unheard because you're always going to be outweighed at the table. And, you know, we got the foot in, we got our foot at the table, we got a seat. But once you get a seat at the table, there it's people not listening because you're always going to be, I would say, outnumbered, outcounted by, you know, our counterparts. And I got an answer for that, Bonte, too. I'm glad you brought that up. Because you said specifically, and you're not wrong. You are 120% right. But it's more than just them white folks. We look at the Vietnamese, the Chinese, the Japanese, even people from Mexico, Venezuela, Colombia, just non-black, non-white, but non-black people. And some, and this is Alejandro Portes. Um, he's a sociologist. I forgot what school he taught at, but he wrote something called the economic enclave theory. And pretty much what that theory states is um, the reason we 
as black people are in the position we are is because we don't have an economic enclave. We can see it particularly with the Vietnamese nail shops. We could see Chinese, Chinese shops. We could see it with European Jews. We could see it with the Irish, the Italians. They have an economic enclave when they're coming to this country. And another premise of that is they have a homeland that if America mistreats those people, they have to answer to that. We saw that with the Japanese and internment camps. That shouldn't didn't happen for long. But see, our position is different because of colonialism in Africa fucked up the minds of our ancestors in Africa as much as fucking slavery did here to our ancestors here in America. We don't really have, we're kind of, we are people, I hate it when people make this argument. Well, slavery happened, the Romans had slaves, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, yeah, 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 this, that, and the other, but people really negate how bad the shit was and even talking about the holocaust talking about the armenian genocide horrible atrocities don't get me wrong but slavery not only took our bodies but it took our minds too and disconnected us from our homeland that y'all know growing up african booty scratcher all the shit we say and trust me and i went to undergrad with a dude from ghana he was like yeah we look at y'all like crazy niggas just shooting and just the same shit that people in China would tell you, people in Germany would tell you, shit, people in our even home country are stereotypes. And then we place that onto the Africans. We are people with, it, it is clear and evident to me that the problem is we are people with no home per se. Because like I said, the Japanese with internment camps is the only thing I can think of and the Chinese Exclusion Act. Yeah, it happened for a little bit, public relations, and having to answer to another country, hey, our people in your country are being treated wrong. What's up with that? Stopped. But see, that's why we have to take the fucking shit into the stick because I forgot what country in Africa said it, but like 2014, I think was it, I don't want, don't quote me, but I know one of the countries on the Gold Coast said, yo, by the way, that slavery shit, sorry for our part in it. This was in like 2014, 2015. And that's why, and I see, you know, why, yo, so particularly to your point about the white folks, we see other groups that come here with nothing and they are welcomed into the fold and then they have more than us and they're, let's say, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be xenophobic, but this is just observation. You know, Chinese people, you know, they run together, Jews, Italians, Irish, they, it all runs together. And they have a homeland that they can bond over. But us, that shit was taken from us. And that's why I say slavery did more damage than what anybody would say. You know, so, what's crazy, too, is I think about it, and you mentioned something about economics. You know, it's crazy when other people come to America and they have something to go to. Like Chinese people, Vietnamese people, they have like exactly. nail shops. Do you understand that Hispanics, their construction, their that's like custodians they're, they're in these different aspects but when it comes to us look there's at not... look at this shit right here even the weave that our women will get their hair from are those fucking shops owned by us unless we're in atlanta no it's normally asian chinese specifically yeah like bro it's 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 crazy man 
and I mean niggas, and I was talking to my boy about this shit. And he was telling me, "Well, yeah, bro, we play, we athletes and re-. no, I'm not talking about the, I'm not talking about the LeBrons and Oakland. I'm talking about the regular, regular okay. people that own businesses and shit like that. I'm talking about on the boots on the ground, not the, not the exceptions. I'm talking about the general rule, and I think a lot of people get that confused. There's a difference between possibility and probability." And if we talk, we can't just sit there. Everything is probable. We got to talk about the chances. You know what the higher probabilities then? Because anything is possible. Well, yeah, I know one of my boys. He started up a restaurant and he's doing good. But generally speaking, I don't see no black-owned businesses like that. And the ones that are do- and this is the crazy thing about it. We look at BET. We look at what's another one. BET is just the main one I can think of. We can think about big big black things that got somebody non-black sitting at the top, very tip, tip, top, even record labels that sign these artists. Yeah. Black music, right? I think I'm not mistaken. Uh, That's v- all, bro. Viacom owns BET. Uh, I know Oprah, despite Oprah being a billionaire, she had her show for like 35 years. Her show was owned by somebody else. Um, there's a couple. There's a couple. Like, right, there's a couple. they're always going to be like somebody. It's somebody. Somebody owns. Somebody owns. There's always going to be somebody sitting over top of us. That's, because, like, I was just talking to somebody about yes. this. There's not many black, and, like, real, like CEOs that, like, they have the final say so and what goes on in their in the in their companies. Like, there's always somebody over top. And and you know that's that's just a whole nother conversation, yeah. but it falls under you know racism and things like that because we could try to get to the top as high as we can, but you'll always have somebody sitting over over top of us in some way, shape, or form, and it's just a battle that you know we'll continue to face. And like like that's that's like one of the things for me when it comes to what we do here is like. It's like one of the main reasons like I would I would like never like sign a recording contract or I would never like sign anything like that because the second I sign a contract with another company, I'm giving my creativity rights so away. I'm giving, I'm giving what 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 got me to that recording contract, all the steps that I took to get there, I'm basically wiping that out. I'm whitewashing it basically. I'm getting rid of everything. And at that point, it's like it's like if y'all watch Martin, Word on the Street, before Martin got his own show, when when the when the when the when Stan sold the shop to the country guy, Martin lost everything. He lost everything. He lost his whole creativity. He lost all of it. Like whatever, whatever dude was said he had to do. So Martin was not Martin anymore. World on the Street was not World on the Street anymore. It was just some random radio station that nobody watched anymore. And that's that's something I never want to happen. Like that's terrible. Like you lose everything you put in work for. So it's like you gotta that economic enclave Mark was talking about. Like it's it's crazy. We don't have it. We don't have it. Like there's like you know black people yes. own all yes. types. Black people they have a lot of black owned businesses, but it's not one like like black people go to like hey you can start this business and every black person will support you. Then we don't have it. If there's enough. There's nothing. It's always we gotta, we gotta we gotta we gotta we gotta I don't want to say copy, but we gotta join in the fold with somebody that's already basically patented. Yeah. Like, and it's tough. Have, to, have you seen uh, Killer Mike's trigger warning? 
don't not, not familiar with your franchise. Trigger warning by Killer Mike. Yeah. Bro, it's a, his show on Killer Mike's show on Netflix. And basically his first fucking episode was about black business. Y'all keep in mind, put in perspective, he's in Atlanta, literally the black Mecca. And he said, I'm going to go a whole day, a whole, just one day buying black. And, but see, he was clever with it. He was like, it has to be black. He tried going to a restaurant. He wanted to find the, the, who the people from the restaurant, black people from the restaurant got their food from, who were their farmers, white folks. He tried going to different businesses and it all, it, like I said, the money only sits in one spot. It's not the money that makes more money. It's just that. And that's in Atlanta. So can you imagine how it was for us in Farmville, fucking Virginia, and places like Cumberland County? If it's that hard to find bl fully black businesses in the Mecca, the black Mecca of Atlanta? Like, bro, I think that speaks to your point, TJ. And black businesses, it's just like, bro. Yeah, down I don't know, but see, that's why I agree with that. You know what I'm saying? Racist, and, uh, and when you start to think about it, yo, it really is fucking sad as hell because then you think about it, damn, this shit ain't never gonna change. I agree with Derek Bell. He said, yo, this is a permanent, nothing, it's ne never going to change. And as pessimistic as that is, you know, we sit there, you know, people, you know, everybody's Black Lives Matter until that dollar, until it comes to the dollars. And that's the only thing that everybody likes to just puff their chests out and yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, the virtue signaling is cool and all, but bro, it's just so much damage that has been done, man. And yeah, then prevailing yeah. stereotypes about us as far as the critical race that I... For, for me, you know, uh, I, thought, I thought I thought like things would change like as like, you know, the baby boomer era, because that's when, you know, racism was, that's when racism was like just horrible, the lynchings, the the discrimination, the all of it. Like even guys like his friends, Muhammad Ali was getting discriminated when he walked in the restaurant. Like, you know, I thought, you know, the grandparents and the grandmothers now, I felt like once they were out of the fold, you know, it would change because it would be a new generation. There'd be new people, new ideas. Then you got guys like Ronald Reagan that came around and he basically doubled down on what happened in the 1950s. He kind of doubled down on it with the credit score and the Philadelphia bombing and all the great and all the horrible things Ronald Reagan did. He basically doubled down and it basically instituted a new, a new fold of racism, basically nuisance. Like at first, it was to keep people out. Then Ronald came with the financial, the mass incarceration, the war on drugs, the credit scores, the, the, the you have to go to the bank to get loans and stuff like that to buy houses and cars and all the, the essential things you need in life. And I feel like it's just like it's it's been doubled down. Like I don't like I can't think of a, a incident in the knees and during my lifetime where I would say there's been like a president that's came in and basically just instituted like just some form or some kind of economic matter or any kind of matter that just basically crushed all the people at the bottom of the food chain down even further than what they are down. I haven't seen anything, I don't know of anything, but that leads me to say that it's going to happen again. And this is why I'm here with this. Because apparently in Florida, the governor of Florida, um, this was the 21st, this was the 15th of December last year, he has basically initiated a process of the Stop Woke Act. 
And it's not woke that, it's an act that censors honest dialogue about systemic racism, gender, gender and race discrimination. And I, and, and if you also know, he paid, they just passed a bill, the don't say gay bill, I believe. That's another bill that had just passed not too long ago. And stop looking at, and I think it's other states working on passing this act as well. I think he is not the only state. I don't know other states that are in the process of passing this act, but Florida is one of them. And if it censors honest dialogue about the three things I have named, then yeah, it's, 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 it's for sure definitely going nowhere because you just look at the repercussions that can happen. You're talking about we can face jail time, you can face fines, you could get stuff banned on your, you can get banned from social media platforms. It's just, it's so much negativity behind an act, an act like that. And it brings you to the point where like the United Nations, when they came out with the story about how the US is, is guilty of hate crime and genocide to all black and indigenous people, it makes perfect sense. Like in the five counts that they charged America with was police killers, mass incarceration, political prisoners slash prisoners of war, environmental racism, and public health inequalities. All things that we have constantly been speaking about for the last two years, if I'm not mistaken. We've always tried to figure out a way to figure it all out. And now it's it's been proven that we went through it. Did you say what did I say? Did you, you said environmental racism, correct? Yeah, environmental racism. That is one of the counts of genocide. No. Bro, let me take this and see. I, I wanted to make sure you was clear because I saw it. I didn't read it all the way through. If you look at most Black inner city communities, their, their neighborhoods are concentrated on the south side or the east side of the city. See, I'm telling you, this shit is so fucked up when you think about it. That's because if a city, most of the time, it's industrial smokestacks blow to the fucking southeast of the city. It blows, the smoke pollutes. It blows to the side of the city. So, nah, let's put the motherfucking black people up there. Well, Bro, it's so fucked up. Well, nah, because I, I did see another TikTok. Um, like I said, that was a hell of an observation for just the smoke to blow in one area. That's, that's some serious studying right there. But um, I saw another thing on TikTok where um, this factory in Chicago caught on fire. Oh man, somebody tweeted it. Like, and I look at all the people in the crowd. It was it was apartment buildings and everything surrounding it, that factory. And somebody pointed out, look at all the people in the crowd. It was all black people, all black people. While a whole industrial plant fire was going on. So you just imagine the amount of smoke and fumes going into the air, just just basically, you know, killing the quality of life. It was like it's. It's bad, man. It's bad. Like when people when people say that it was all so long ago and things like that, like it's not so long ago. The examples we provide, maybe so, maybe I would no. say maybe the examples we provide, but it's still probably today. Like you can find any example of it today, literally. Like I bet you somebody around has been denied for a loan to buy a house to get better means or buy a car or the credit score thing. Credit score is the dumbest thing ever. I don't know why it's brown. Like you have to owe money to get money. Like why is that even a thing? 
the mass incarceration. You getting picked on. You getting picked off of petty crimes, like when Vontae said all the way in the back of the episode. Like, and it's even it's even got to the point where they're violating like other people. Like, it, I'll never forget the whole the cow the cow Rittenhouse thing. It just opened it. Oh, like it just it inspired me to want to to talk about one point for this episode, another episode down the road. Can't even title that one. But it just inspired me to talk about this right here because, like, if people don't know, the two people that Kyle Rittenhouse had shot and killed in Wisconsin, they were two white people. They weren't black people. They were white people. And you, everybody had thought when, oh, he killed white people. Oh, he's definitely going to jail. Wrong answer. The judge said those people, when the judge came out with the comments and said, don't refer to them as victims, refer to them as assailants or whatever, you know, attack, attackers, whatever terms is synonymous with those. And it was like, if, 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 and it showed that if white, if white people that supported us are treated like us, then it's like, damn. No, you touched on something and I kind of like, so, you know, I mentioned before how we always got, I think the biggest thing when it comes to racism is education. <laughs> and the reason why is I think us as African-Americans, you know, I realized, you know, throughout growing up, there is different ways to break the system. Um, and the first basis of us breaking the system comes through education. When it, in different assets, because, but, and I also realized when us coming together as people, because one thing, you know, that Michael mentioned is that you know these different races of people outside are come comes together really, and there's always going to be a place for somebody that looks like them to work at. Or the the idea, I think we have to become more educated and you know get educated because then as we if we want to move through these spaces and get to you know where we have our own black businesses and like we're really the controllers at the top end because at the end of the day, I think the goal is for us to. Um, is to us get educated, but also be able to put our people in position. We can't really put people in position without the proper education because there are certain things. The one thing I will always say is that people, some people that come here may not be educated, but the fact that they're always together and they move together, and sometimes you see most generally that they move as one, <laughs> they can do anything. But with us, it's we're first we're fighting against ourselves because there's things that. You know, being from D.C., being in the hood and, you know, knowing people that live in the hood, there's always this thing of like, I would say people always mention the black on black crime. But I feel like that's just a thing where you put people in probably people in these neighborhoods who are always fighting like, because it's, it's always a thing. That's something that comes from the past. That's always going to be ingrained in us. But I think now we have to get to a point where we have to break that aspect of it and really start to move. And I want to make a reference to, because I was just talking to somebody about this, um, a reference to Snowfall, right? Um, I think you, I know I think most of us watch that show, but it's interesting because when the when the drug game started, um, I asked this question: is like, why when people you know make so much money in the drug game, like the idea is to you make your money in the drug game, you get out of it, and then you use that money to well, just create businesses or create whatever for your block for people like us, but in a, in reality. It don't happen like that. You know, people tend to always stay in those certain illegal activities and then you get caught up and back and you're back in that system and you're 
starting from ground zero. Not saying like I, I'm not, a, I'm not a fan of like you, the drug game, but I'm saying that there are certain entities in which we are in that we can get out of because we made the money in those entities, but we tend to stay in, stay in them, and we're back at zero. So I think the biggest thing, and my point is like. We have to continue to get educated and to like when we're educated, we can move through these systems, move through these certain barriers that we're faced in and come together as one. I think that's one thing that I think will at least it will, as we get our foot in the door and, you know, more black people, more young African-Americans. I think the young African-American people like us in our generation, like we're an important generation for, 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 like we're in an important time period. And I think we continuously have to take advantage of what of this time because if we don't we're just going to keep putting people the people that look like in in the back of the line in the back line but i think we're really the forefront and i think that's why it's such an emphasis on this generation at this given time period because we're really the ones that can truly make a change and and for people that come after us so that's kind of one thing i want to touch when it came to my head because i, I literally asked somebody i was like asked them about the drug and things like that and i asked like well why don't people you know who make money in the drug game, why do they constantly continue to stay in it instead of using those millions and millions of dollars or whatever, how much ever money you make? And we hear a lot of rappers who say they've made their money in the drug game and then they got out and then they went to go, you know, do something else and create ownership, you know, for for those people and allow those people that look like us, you know, to to make and do something new. So that's kind of what, you know, sparked what this is kind of an idea that came to my head. And one if, if it's one person, I think every, and I mean every black person should take notes from is the man Sean Carter himself. Jay-Z has did it literally the way Bronte said and it should be done. If you know Jay-Z, you know Jay-Z was, he was a black boy. He was a black boy in like early 90s. So was Future. Future, both of them. They were, they used to, they used to deal drugs like way before they came up. And like, they kept, they kept, they, and then once they got that, now Future didn't do it the way Jay-Z did it, obviously, but Jay-Z, he immediately, once he got, once he got to that point, he immediately started putting others on, like, Rock Nation was created in 1999, like, Jay-Z came out with his first album in 96, so he immediately put the money he made out of the drug game to create his own record label, on top of that, Rock Away. Yes, rock away. If you don't, well, I didn't know this. Surprisingly, I didn't know this. But that is Jay-Z's clothing line. And it was a and it's a clothing line that's not like a Montclair, not like a Gucci, not like a, a Louis Vuitton. It's like Shaq. It's like Shaq shoes. You can go, you go to Walmart right now and buy your Rockaway shirts and Rockaway jeans. If you need some clothes, a brand brand provided for that. Now Obviously, is it what you want? Do you want to say, oh, I don't want nobody to give you no handout, no free clothes? I mean, it's something. It's something. Like, he could, like, it's Jay-Z for crying out loud. Jay-Z could charge $9,000 for some sneakers if he wanted to. He really could, but he doesn't. Shaquille O'Neal, multi-millionaire people. These are multi-millionaires we're talking about that could charge, like, out the ass for their products because their name is their name. Like, you can't tell me right now, Shaq was dropping for $20, nobody buys Shaq for $20. Somebody would buy that shoe. But all Shaq shoes, 25 bucks. Yeah. AI shoes, the N1, the N1, AI, stuff like that. Reeboks, 35, 50 bucks. Just 
extremely affordable stuff that will help the little man, you know, provide the everyday needs. And like, I feel like it's gonna, it, I feel like more people are gonna get to this point, like, rest in peace, Nipsey Hussle. Nipsey Hussle was one of the guys that was gonna, you know, he was gonna, he was gonna rebuild the way Crenshaw was. He was gonna try to rebuild it, but never got the chance to foresee it. Um, and I don't know any other guys. I know LeBron James, he did his thing with the opening the school in Cleveland. And like, what people don't know about that school, I think I've said this before, that you have to show the amount of income you get to get into the school. If you make above, I want to say, is it $25,000 or $30,000, you cannot attend LeBron James School. You cannot attend it because you'll literally be above the poverty line. Now, you know, judge how you will. What about other people that make above that? But if you're making thirty-five dollars to $40,000 a year, you're not – you're not broke, but you're not rich either. But you're at that point where you can somewhat afford an affordable education for your child if you wanted to, if you wanted to. But somebody that makes twenty-five thousand a year, that's like seven twenty-five. That's a minimum wage job. You're not making it. You, you can't buy. You can't get no education with that. And on top of that, what LeBron does is if you stay within his school from K to twelve, you get four free years of education at the University of Akron. Now, I don't know the University of Akron standards. But that doesn't even, that, I don't even think about that because the fact is, whoever's graduating from that school, you're getting a free four years of college. And being that the way college tuition is now, huh, anybody can use free education to get to that next level. So there are people, examples that we have that you got to be like. You got to be like them. Like once you get the money, you got to go back. J.R. Smith on the I Am Athlete podcast, he says he wish he would learn this sooner. You know, when J.R. Smith back in the old seven, he talked about, he was he was more conscientious of the, the the people in the poverty. You know, he was out here taking fines for missing the bus, ten thousand dollar fine for missing the bus. He was like, "Dang, I wish I would have been smarter with that and realized that I could use that ten thousand dollars to help somebody buy a, a meal, fill their refrigerator, you know, something to help others." And like, I mean, I don't know, I don't know what the I don't know how many NBA players have organizations, but I know in the NFL, a lot of players have organizations. I know Amcon Bowden has an organization. I know Larry Fitzgerald. I know Steve Smith. I know a lot of people have these organizations that give back to the people in poverty to help them get a chance. Now, it's more towards the athletic side of things. I wish there was more like things like education-wise, like Vontae saying things like that, because Malcolm made a great point. There is a one in a thousand chance you make the NBA and the NFL. So, I mean, like, I'd rather education to me than the athletic skills. That's just me personally. I mean, like, because it's just so many. It's just so many. It's just so many things that we can do, and it's and it's gonna take a lot. It's gonna take. It's gonna take a lot of us to get there. But I just want everybody to just remember those things: Jay Z, LeBron, Shaq, Nipsey Hussle, the four guys. If you don't remember any of the four, those are the four guys. If you want to model game after of how to. Use your money to give back to others. That's that's good as it gets. Like to this day, Shaq just bought some just bought some people like three new vehicles. Bought them a whole new, bought them a whole new car, new truck, new everything. Shaq just basically gives money away whenever he can. Anytime he sees somebody in poverty or anything like that, buys them three iPads, buys them all the shoes in the store. It's like, and it's material things, but hey, look. It makes life easier for some people. You just don't know what they're going through. But that's how I see it. But, um...
I mean, I feel like I feel like the answers for this is like kind of in front of us at this point. I feel like we all know what needs to be done. It's just how can we get there? I, I how can we get there, Mama? Because being that you know right. voting. Voting and politics and things like that, you know, people don't already support it has issues. How can we how can we get there? Because, you know, unfortunately, these past elections, um, the people that we have tried to vote for have not um given us the things we have wanted or we have needed to better ourselves. How do we, you know, instill the people to keep, you know, pushing along even though it's not changing? no matter what we do. What's, what's your advice? Anybody got some I'm advice? I'm with you on this one. I don't even think it's, I think it starts a little bit closer than the political system. Oh, I know yeah. you mentioned a couple seconds ago, you know, we can go buy shacks. We can go buy uh, maybe some Rockaway clothes. But I think the big problem is the shit black people give other black people for non-black non or cheap shit. Guarantee you go buy them same shacks and wear it out to the motherfucking court. Nigga, what the fuck you got on? What are those? I think we do it to ourselves a little bit. And I think that's where we should start. We should educate. All It's all kind of full circle. Education. You know, we should start. Let's say a black boy wants to play tennis. And we know this shit exists. You know, Nick, you know that's what the white folks do. That's white people shit. That's... And I think that mind state, you know, we were talking about gatekeeping the other day. We gatekeep ourselves as much as we gatekeep other any other race from fucking dug in or some fucking superficial shit that we think is so fucking black. But in reality, you know, we should really try to get our own shit at home straight first as far as a community, because that's what exactly what we are talking about. What's the difference between us and every other group in this country? We don't move as a community. We have adopted literally not racist, just the European individualistic, you know, it's, hey, every man for himself. As you know, and I know y'all see, other groups don't move like that. W.E. Du Bois said it best. We are capitalists with no capital, consumers. And how do we say it? I think we have to start with our mind state. You know, slavery did a number to our mind, and I hate to keep it making. I mean, that's what we have to go back to. What is the difference between us and any other group? You know, it did it too. Mm. Hold on, just. No, I also think that, like you said, I was okay. waiting for Ira to finish, but like you said, like we make fun of others literally for the same the clothes that somebody got on, whatever they like, whatever. But you know, for me personally, like I went to a multicultural school. And when I told you that, you know, outside of every other, like, I went to, like, well, Spanish people, you know, they would, they could wear whatever they want, not get judged. But as soon as you see an African-American with something that's not a Jordan, a Nike. Say it, Devontae. Why you got on that? Why you got on that? Like, you bitch, you that. But then, to me, I was like, okay, like, now making sense of it, it's like, well, that's not the right thing to do because that could be just what they're for. But, you know, we tend to push break our break you know push our own people away because of the things we say but instead of us coming together and you know uplifting and continue to uplift you know we always want like I said but then but we always want to be a step behind so it's really the first thing is us coming like realizing what's in our communities because I think that's the first thing 
And then, you know, when we realize the problems in our own communities, then we can start to exactly you know, reach these other levels that we really want to yeah. reach to break down those systems and barriers that we have. Because, you know, I talk to white dudes, white girls and everything. Yeah, I bought my clothes from Goodwill. I don't see the point. But, you know, I, I don't. I, and I think J. Cole says it best. I guess it's just the nigga urge, honestly, because you talk to white. Yeah, I got these. I got this shirt from Goodwill, these jeans, too. But white people don't make fun of other white people for doing that stuff. Hispanics, Asians, we are the only group that can. And maybe, as Umar Johnson says, that's just a fucking repercussion of slavery because so much was taken from us. We put that shit on our body trying to make them feel better, which I'm not watching nobody's pockets. I'm not watching how nobody else spends. But I can tell you there is a difference from us culturally wanting the designer. I mean, part of it may be our music. Part of it may be the conditioning. I'm not sure. But I can tell you, all the other groups don't give a fuck about the material shit that we do. Hey, man. That's all I'm going to say is right now, you boy got a paper champion sweatpants on. Like, look, keeps them warm. That's all that Keeps me warm. Keeps me warm. That's all that matters. But I do have one question about that, though. Now, like, what if people are out here just like making fake copies of those brands? Like, that's like, that's embarrassing. Like, I know, I know, like, I saw in DTRA, one of those stores in the DC area, I saw a fake pair of Air Forces. Like, a wow. fake pair of Air Forces. Like, that, like, that's the stuff that bothers. Like, like, that's tough. Like, you, you, like, it's no way you're going to put somebody through that. Like, I feel like that's something you did to somebody right there. Like, why are you putting fake Air Forces in the store? Like, come on, bro. That's, that's wild. Like, when I saw that, and to me, look, when I picked up them shoes, I was like, oh, these Air Forces. But then when I looked at the toe of the shoe and I saw the way the docks were, it was like, oh. No. Well, the real question is, why are they getting entered and why are they being put in the stores? That's what I'm saying. Like, I feel like that's something you do to yourself, like, like, I have nothing against you buying it as long as, like, just don't do it to yourself, bro. Like, don't, 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 don't go out here. Please don't buy shoes. Please, like, I, I don't want you to do it to yourself. And I'm not, I'm not going to come at you. Man, you got to do what you got to do. You got to get it how you live. Hey, power to you. But, man, look, don't, like, please don't, like, please just don't take that to heart and just go buy name brand stuff that's not name brand stuff. Like, please, if you're gonna buy, if you're gonna buy a pair of retros, make sure they're actually prepared. Please, please, don't come out there with a jump in on backwards, because I don't care what, what, what ethnicity you are from. Somebody's gonna say something to you. Social suicide right there. Oh my God. No, just don't do that to you. Please don't do that to yourself. I'd rather you pick up the Rocker Red jeans and buy some fake Gucci. Please, please, please don't do that to yourself. That's one thing. But we got to figure it out. I feel like the mindset is the biggest thing. Once we change that mindset, once we get out this idea that we always got to prove somebody else wrong with it, just getting how we need to get it, then things will get for the better. But um, I think that sums it up. I mean, I just wanted to just, just, just bring a light on, you know, systemic racism, critical race theory, how it's affected us today. Um, is it still prevalent now? Stop woke act. United Nations convictions shows that it has happened. It's it's been there, and the Stop woke act shows you that it's going to continue if we don't do something about it soon. And it's going to happen. So 
We gotta, I said, you said we gotta get our heads out of our heads out of our asses. We gotta figure it out. We gotta come together for once. We have to come together. Have to. We can't bicker over what issue we want to fight through first. And I believe I said this way back last year when we were voting, when the voting was going around. The problem is, like Michael says, and Vontae says, we're so busy arguing with one another that we never can figure out a common idea to figure out a solution. And we need to stop that. We need to disagree to disagree. It is fine. Compromise is good in most portions. And compromise is good in this case. We need to find one idea. We need to just get it out of the way. And then after that, we just, you know, go on down the list. And then hopefully things get, hopefully, hopefully things get better. But like I said, that is all I have. Do y'all have anything? No, I think we covered a lot of stuff. All right, good. That's good then. All right, so next episode we got, you know, taking it back to the music, musical beginnings type series. Um, we got my I got my guy Sydney, you know, Sydney for all my Farmville people. Um, graduate Chris Edward is an artist now. Cartier Jones is his artist's name. You know, me and him talking up a little bit, talk about his music, his brand, his goals for himself, and what's next for him. As an artist in the lives, you know, same thing we did for most artists, just to give everybody a chance to, you know, speak on the brand that you did. Because if I don't, so if you don't support others, then how can you expect us to support you? That's my that's my TED talk right there. But um, yeah, that's it. As always, this is your host Ira signing off. As always, stay tuned. We got things coming. You know, episode times get better. Triple threat. Get with the program, man. We got right now. As of right now, as I'm speaking on it. We got two articles out right now talking about John Moran and what he's doing for the Grizzlies and talking about the James Harden Philadelphia trade by Vontae himself. So, you know, read those, check those out. Stay tuned to the thread. They got more things coming. I know they're working on things of that nature. We also did an NBA 75 draft as well. So look out for all those things that come out in the near future. And then, yeah, I think that's, I think that's it. So thank y'all, thank y'all for tuning in. And as always, see y'all soon. You love